0: Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and his heart for all to know him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. All right, listeners, since today we're going to be discussing Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 and following, I'm going to read that for us before we get started. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth, and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground the lord god made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a river flows out of eden to water the garden From there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought to them to the man to see what he would call them whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field but for the man there was not found a helper as his partner so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept then he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Well, Anthony, we've been digging deeper into the narrative in Genesis chapter two, uh, talking about the second creation narrative, uh, about some of the ways that translations uh, give us different words. um, And exploring some of those words, especially like work and serve and cultivate um, can help us really see how God is uh, forming the world in this Uh, in this early creation narrative, Uh, we just got done talking about uh, the sovereignty of God and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, And then you were saying that in chapter 2, verse 18, God notices that the man is alone. Um, And what what more can you really draw out for us here in the second part of this uh, Genesis 2 narrative?
1: Well, as we, again, the the second creation narrative is framed by this theme of incompleteness, you know, because in the beginning, there's, you know, at the end of the first one, the earth is full, and there's animals, and there's plants, everything is perfect. And then we start out with the second, and there's no plant to the field yet on the earth. And we realize, because this what with, with this teaching us is that the earth really needs God and human involvement for it to um, become what it was meant to be to become and so then you know then man is created but there's no place for the man to live so God forms this garden and and you know and then now that the garden is formed um in verse 18 it says um it's good that the man it's not good that the man should be alone um and you know we're as we look at this as we look at who god is so far in the narrative god is completely other centered and here he's completely empathetic um He's, he has this deep empathy. And so to rectify this incompleteness, God gets to work to find a suitable helper. Um, you know, in verse 18, in the translation I'm using, it says, I will make him a helper as his partner. Um, and in the good news translation, it would be a suitable helper. And so we have to ask, what does the term helper mean? Um, In English, we typically view a helper as someone lower in status to the one being helped. You know, it's like a servant. The word in Hebrew is Ezer. And it's used, but the difference here is see what we have in English. We're thinking of someone who comes alongside and helps someone who is somewhat lower in status. But in the Hebrew this word Azar is used for the one who has the strength and power to come alongside and help in times of trouble. And th- this word is typically used for God in the uh, Hebrew Bible. And so keeping that in mind, who's God in the narrative? You know, God is the one who sees there's no one to till the earth, and he makes a man, and then he sees that the man has nowhere to live, so he plants a lush garden for the man, a garden filled with trees and overflowing with water. And here, God sees the aloneness of the man, and if we, as we proceed, he forms from the ground all the animals of the earth and all the birds in the sky. So really, who God is in the narrative, in the Hebrew sense of the word, is the helper, the one who has the strength and power to come alongside and make a difference in the person's life. And um, here, it's to help him and help him take care of all these issues of incompleteness. So the term helper cannot refer to someone lower in status to serve the man, serve the man. And what's amazing is to me is that in the mind of God, God does not regard himself as a suitable helper, even though the man has God present with him. God's presence with the man does not alleviate the man's aloneness you know so i mean that's not something we typically think about you know here it, the man is a perfect situation he's got god with him but god is the one who notices he's alone even god's own presence with the man doesn't rectify this and we we don't we t- typically not, don't even think about that so, what's God looking for? He's looking for a physical someone who can image God by doing what God does by loving, relating, caring, understanding, empowering, and having a positive, constructive impact on the man's life. To highlight that the search was for a suitable physical counterpart, you know, as God had formed the man from the dust of the ground earlier in the narrative. So God forms all the animals and birds from the ground. And that's in verse 19. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Um, and so to further develop this idea of suitability in the counterpart to the man, You know, so God brings the animals before the man so the man can name them. And traditionally, the man's naming of the animals has been interpreted as the man demonstrating authority over them. And yet, this is not how the book of Genesis portrays the function of naming. Because if we jump to Genesis chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, we see that Hagar names God. She says, you are the God who sees me. Now, surely Hagar was not exercising her authority over God. What was happening here is she was memorializing her unbelievable encounter with the living God. And we see in Genesis 28, 19, that Jacob named the place where he had his dream and seeing the angels ascend and descend and seeing God at the top of the of the ladder, um, he, he named that area Bethel. Now, this was not demonstrating his authority over the place. It was memorializing his meeting God there. And so, so we see this function of memorializing surface in the naming of Isaac. Abraham named his son Isaac to memorialize the laughter Isaac brought to his household. And this is the same case with the naming of Ishmael. God wanted Hagar to name her son Ishmael to memorialize the fact that God had heard her and responded to her in love. So rather here than seeing the man's naming of the animals as a demonstration of superiority, I think it's better to view the naming of the animals as describing the process of the man establishing a level of familiarity with the animals and the birds in the search for a suitable helper. And so, you know, he's encountering all these animals, all these birds, and at the end of the exercise, what's amazing is that there is no one from all of them that qualifies as a suitable helper for the man. So God, as the man's helper, continues to take active steps to alleviate this incompleteness. In verse, um, you know, in 20, at the second part of the verse, it says, you know, but for the man, there was not found a helper as a as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Um, And God fashions this into the woman. Now again, the verb of, you know, um, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And this verb made, um, is the same as when he made man from the dust of the ground. And so both the man and the woman came into existence through the direct and active involvement of God. Now, throughout history, there's been different approaches to what woman being created from the rib signifies. Misogynist assumptions that the women were inherently weaker and inferior to men And consequently, needing oversight shaped much of that thinking, even through, um, sadly, through the Christian church. The early Syrian church fathers accepted Philo's interpretation that the woman was equal to half a man because she was formed from only one side of the man. And in the Sayyid al-Bukhari, which is one of the um, authorized hadith. Of you know, of Muslims, you know, this was apparently influenced by Greek Jewish and Christian thought. And the Sahih al-Bukhari concluded that the rib signified that the woman's nature was inherently crooked because a rib is a crooked bone and can never be straightened. And so this is what it says in the Sahih al-Bukhari. It says, the woman is like a rib. If you try to straighten her, you will break her um but in contrast to this you know because actually the greeks um the ancient greeks had a very low opinion of of women and they needed to be managed their nature was inferior and the romans accepted that and so apparently that whole negative misogynist thinking kind of it was the, the way people thought and that penetrated the christian you know the christian theology for Centuries, millennia. Um, and so, but what we see, the man, what he says, is this at last in verse 23 is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And what does that mean? Um, he saw her as being the same as he having his exact nature and the exclamation of at last when he saw the woman highlights his delight you know because here he's spent all this time encountering all the animals and we know there's a lot of animals out there he's encountering all the birds and you know animals are beautiful let's be honest you know we all love, love of seeing animals. It's great to see a tiger. I mean, from a distance, you know. But if you saw a baby tiger, and you know, everybody loves a baby dog and puppy and a and a kitty, you know, and having all these, you know, to get all of this, he's he's got the first experience of the zoo. And yet, you know, and as wonderful as that was, he realized none of these are a suitable partner for me. So now he has, after all of that, he sees this person that god has formed from him and he says this is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh this one shall be called woman for out of man um this one was taken and so the woman so completely rectified the aloneness of the man that um the narrative which is quite striking in verse uh, 24 the there's an interruption in the time-space particularity of this event, you know, this is a creative event. This is where God brings the woman to the man. And we've all been in this particular time in, in geographical space in ancient time. And yet the text jettisons out of the particularity of that time and space, and says, makes this general comment to all men across all of time, everywhere. It says, therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Now you have to ask yourself a question, why does the narrative do that? And again, this is highlighting the reformational, the prophetic dimension of the passage. Because this was written at a time where people had very strong misogynist thinking and assumptions and this was to counter all of that and make this okay so you are reading this right now and so therefore this applies to you as a man and this applies to all men everywhere um to whoever is reading it at whatever time um So this is not describing what the first man did because there were no fathers and mothers there this is just adam and eve and this is to describe what all men are expected to do when they marry and it it isn't necessarily literally you can't live with your your in-laws you know or your your mom and dad because a lot of people live in extended family situations across the world but it's it's where your allegiance is and where your heart attitude is. And so the, um, the movement men are to make in, in verse 24 and leaving their parents and clinging to their wives actually reflects the movement of God towards the man um, in the entire narrative. God has been actively moving on the man's behalf by making the man making a garden, making the animals and birds, and finally making the woman and bringing her to him. God has been helping the man this entire time. Now this man and all men are to move towards their wives and fulfill their roles of being God's image bearers by helping and serving their wives.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or, to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now, receive a good word. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.